You know, I don't think it would be possible to get yourself in the right spirit for Christmas without music. And thank y'all so much. So I'll give a plug for Wednesday night for the candlelight service. It's going to be very music intensive with some scripture reading and the Lord's Supper. So if you want to prepare yourself for Christmas and music moves your heart the way it moves mine, please make plans to come to that event. Now this letter is probably one of the oldest letters in the New Testament. And this is the scripture for today. Is one of the last bits or one of the last um, charges to the church that Paul wrote in this first letter. So what does that mean to you? That means these are some of the earliest writings of the New Testament. Let that sink in. Some of the first things that we recognize as Scripture, as the New Testament canon, come from these words. And so if you will, join with me. Starting in verse 16. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Joy. That is what we celebrate today. Joy. And you may have heard the question I ask our children, what is the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is this kind of emotional response to situations that we find ourselves in. It is feelings. But there is a part of happiness that generally has to happen to you. You know, when we talk about rejoice always, from a biblical perspective, these words are much easier said than done. Think about it. This is a continual effort. This is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. How are we this way all the time? This isn't this kind of perpetual happiness of if bad things happen to me, then I'm just going to be happy with it, you know, grin and bear it. This isn't what this is talking about. This is an attitude for Christ followers. So did you catch that line? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now these words are written directly to the church. And they're written directly to the church today. They are some of the oldest in the New Testament. What Christ teaches the church. What is different from the Old Testament. What is different in light of the resurrection is that we are to find hope, peace, joy, and love. These are the themes that we celebrate. And some of the oldest commands in our New Testament Scripture are a called for a change of attitude, a choice, if you will, for those who have followed Christ, because this is the will of God. 
Now, a lot of times we struggle with what God's will for us would be. And that's true if we're trying to discern our place of employment, you know, our livelihoods, our direction from when we were in high school to what we're going to do as adults. Even who we will pick as a spouse, these kind of things, they're tough. But these three commands, these three statements are very clear. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, He wants you to have joy always. He wants you to remember to pray without ceasing. He wants an open communication. He wants you to be able to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, you may say, well, that's easier said than done, and it is. So let me put you in perspective of this church that Paul is writing to. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, on a very short stint into this town, uh, shared the gospel. They shared it under Jewish persecution. Some of the Jews, of course, believed the words that they spoke, believed the words of the gospel, and they found. But there was a very strong movement against this Christian sect, against these missionaries. They wanted them out of their town. And they drove them off. Not only did that, they were trying to squash whatever was left, whatever remnant that Paul and Silas and Timothy left behind. So this small group of believers was persecuted. But not only that, not only by the Jewish people that lived in the town, but also because of the pagan or the Gentile people there as well. They had a different moral code. And so the faith of a Christian called them to live differently. When you live different from those around you, people notice it. They notice when you're different. And they usually don't like it. We like people to dress like us. We like people to talk like us. We like people to think like us. And when people do not think, talk, act, dress like us, we don't like it. And if they're a small enough group and they pose a threat to our way of life, we want to get rid of it. Now, you could turn this message into a very political statement from the church, but that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to look at its essence. We are going to look at the will of God for each and every one of our individual lives and also how it is written here. It is written to the church. So we are going to look to see what this means for us as a church. How are we as a community to always rejoice? To always pray? And to always give thanks? It's tough. So here's another thing going on behind the scenes. When Jesus promised to return to collect his bridegroom, that first generation of believers really wasn't sure what it meant. And they just assumed that that meant he was going to go, you know, pack his things, get, get our houses ready, and then come and get us. So we're talking about, you know, a few days, a few months, maybe a few years down the road. But that's not what happened, did it? And we know the scriptures, First Peter, a thousand years is like a day. And today is a thousand years to God. 
So God doesn't judge time the way we judge time. It teaches that we have to give it over to God. Because God is the author of all. And that includes time. He creates each and every one of us to have an existence. But it is finite. God is infinite. Our understanding is limited to His overarching knowledge and wisdom. And so we don't fully understand what God has in store for us. Now, if you're following along the quarterlies that our church is using, you notice today that even the boy Jesus, though fully God and fully man, when he took on human flesh, love how John, as the flesh, as the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we realize that even as a boy, Jesus had to grow. He had to grow physically. He had to grow in knowledge of his culture and his time through the teachings of his parents. Even the Son of God had to grow in his understanding of his role as Messiah. I mean, think about it. What would you tell your six-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 12-year-old about his mission in life? If it was revealed to you by an angel that your son would grow to be the Messiah. How do you explain it to a child who's still working on arithmetic? Do you say, guess what? God told me before you were born that you're going to grow up to save the world. They don't understand that, would they? No, their world is what's around them. It's kind of like when you have a child that's growing. There's a point in your life where you can play peekaboo. You close their eyes and the world disappears. Because if they can't see it, it doesn't exist. Those are fun games. Peekaboo. Everything gone. Oh, still there. But just as we learn to understand our surroundings as we grow, that we know just because we close our eye that the world doesn't disappear, that when our senses deceive us, that we can still trust in certain facts. Like there is gravity. It's a fact. You throw something up in the air, it's going to come down unless it gets stuck in a tree. Then you spend the next hour trying to knock it down, right? So it works. Paul is teaching this church who he didn't get to spend a lot of time with, who didn't have a lot of training, but he is teaching that even though in these circumstances you have enough. You have enough. For Paul didn't leave them leaderless. There was some in the midst of the congregation, maybe either a God-fearer or one of these Jewish converts, who had some kind of training beforehand. Maybe he just had a Bible and could read it and actually understood what it meant. Maybe that was it. We don't know for sure. But we know that Paul said, lift up these leaders in your presence. Pray for them. Care for them. It's not about the individual by themselves. But it is about the benefit for the entire church. And so if we look at these, this first part. About always rejoicing. Always praying. And always giving thanks. We are to understand this idea of consistency. Now if you are... Looking at the lesson this morning, you understand that there's a physical dimension to all these. 
And so that's easy for me to compare to with the idea of consistency. So let's think about it. There was one point in my life where I ran 5Ks. Does it look like I do it now? (laughs) But there's one thing about running that you learn. It's consistency. It's not one-time efforts. You know, power lifting. If you're just going to get that thing up in the air, there's a lot of consistency in training, but really it's about that one-time event. Running's different, isn't it? These endurance sports, bike riders, runners, these kind of people, triathlons, it's about the little things. It's about consistency. It's about one step and next step and the next. If you try to train once a week, you will never get it done. I remember when I was in high school, I had friends that were into this weightlifting. We had this one guy, he loved to, to do the bench press because he was trying to get these numbers, these incredible high numbers. And he did. He could bench press nearly twice his weight. Pretty impressive. But now he didn't work on his legs. He didn't work on his biceps and triceps. Any of these other things. Just the bench press. Can you imagine what he looked like? Think about it. These little bird legs. These little bird arms. And this giant chest. He really did look like a bird. A big old puffed up chest there. But for athletes, they know. It is consistency and a regiment for the whole body. So 5Kers can kind of get away with only focusing on running. People who run 10Ks or marathons or ultra marathons, they don't just focus on the running aspect of the sport. They have to focus on nutrition. They have to focus on their core strength. Because what happens if you're into a long race and you have a weak core? You can't breathe. If you can't breathe, you can't run. If you can't run, you can't finish. Consistency. Consistency in all things. So in the physical dimension, those who have been athletes in the past and who are no longer, we know that if we give up the practice of conditioning, it will quickly fade away. That is what Paul is teaching this church. It is about rejoicing always, praying always, giving thanks always. This is conditioning. This is God's will for us. It is the exercise of every believer. Because if we only rejoice when the things are good, we can become miserable. If we become miserable, what happens to those who are closest to us? If you have a family and friends who are just miserable people who don't like life, it rubs off on you, doesn't it? And if you care for somebody who is like this, you know that the only way that you can get through that relationship is if you recharge your batteries somewhere else. Because if you're not recharging your batteries with people who practice joy on a regular basis, that negative person in your life will completely drain you of all your joy. So as a community of believers, we have to be a people who practice these things, who make a decision To be joyful in all circumstances. Whether the world at large is persecuting us. Whether it's coming from within our own household. 
We have to be a community that believes in joy. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. It's because Christ coming to earth brought joy to this world. Because it brought grace and peace and freedom and salvation. When you believe you are truly free, you can be joyful in whatever situation. Imagine yourself. You may be sitting in prison. Imagine it. Try to put yourself there. But you know there is a release. There is an order that says one day you will break free of this place. And then somebody comes and tells you, you know, you got 100 more days here, and then you'll be gone. 200 more days here, and then you'll be gone. Those 100 days, those 200 days, when you know freedom is at the end, are different than when somebody says, you're indefinitely detained for the rest of your life. You don't know if you'll be free today, tomorrow, a year from now. Ten years from now, when you don't have a date in front of you, how can you have joy when you think, I may very well die in this place? But we celebrate Christmas because we celebrate the birth of Christ, Emmanuel. But the only reason we celebrate it is because we have a release date. Because of those who believe in Jesus and give over their life and become his disciple, they have found a release from this world. But we're not just to focus on the next phase. We are supposed to live in the moments that we are given. Whether that's a day from now, a week from now, 10 years from now, 80 years from now. We don't know how many more days Jesus will give us. But there is a release from the pain of sin and sorrows of this world. And that is why we celebrate. For we worship the Prince of Peace who brought peace to the turmoil that we inflict with the sins that we commit. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus. How do we know these things? Then Paul goes on to say, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast in what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, some of us from a more Pentecostal background may understand these texts better than us from a more uh, Baptist uh, or liturgical background. Because those who attend themselves to the Spirit and the speaking of the voice in their life will understand what Paul is saying here. Now, Paul left the church with leaders. And these leaders were early prophets. Why did we have early prophets in the early church? Are those who could speak in tongues and all these kind of things. We didn't have the witness of Scripture. This is one of the earliest letters. We don't have the Gospels. We don't have somebody who can go and study those. And as we see, 
those early missionaries were already kicked out of their town. And so God blessed the early church with the fruits of the Spirit. And some prophesied, some spoke in tongues. Strange for us, but for them it was a necessity. And so Paul tells them that those who have this gift, some of these leaders among you who can bring a word, a word from the Lord, because that's what a prophet's job was. It wasn't to predict the future, but it was to bring a word of the Lord to the people. This isn't talking about like the book of Revelations on how the end of time is going to happen. This is how are we to live our life today in light of what Christ has done for us on the cross. This is what it meant to be attuned to the Spirit. Speaking in tongues was only valuable if there was someone there to interpret it. But this is what was going on. There was people who could tune into the Spirit. And to gain a bit of wisdom and knowledge from a source that they didn't have access to. So that they would know how God's will for them to live as a people in their everyday circumstances. Just as like we do meet week after week. We don't come here just because it's a habit. Well, some of us might. But we come here because we're wanting to learn a bit of what God has for us for our lives. So that we may discern a bit of His will. That we may be better people now. But we also know that we have a release. That we have a victory already won. Even though the battles still rage. So Paul is teaching the church to lift up their spirits. He says, do not quench it. Just because it may be strange to you, don't squelch it. Listen to prophecies, but there is a catch. And there is always a catch when you hear people speaking. Whether it's in the style that we do as Baptists of about a 20 to 30 minute sermon. Whether it's uh, some of our African American friends that will just go for all afternoon. There is always a catch. Did you hear that this morning in our Bible study? The boy Jesus was sitting at the feet of teachers in Jerusalem. His parents worried sick, didn't know where he was at. Twelve years old. His first step was listening. He listened to the words that they taught. But listening is not the only part of learning. For he also asked questions. He had an inquisitive spirit. But he wasn't just asking these silly questions, just to ask a question for the sake of asking. We know kids that will do that. They'll ask you all kind of random things. But Jesus was concerned that he understood what was being taught. And he says the people were amazed at his understanding and his answers. For in his mind, he formulated responses. He put what he heard and the answer, the questions that he asked all together. And he gave his own answers, his own opinions. He formed a dialogue with these masters, these rabbis, these teachers. So that he could grow in his own knowledge and wisdom. The son of God growing in knowledge and wisdom. Hmm. Just like us. 
If Jesus wasn't too scared to learn from others, what is our excuse? Did you know that some of us are called to teach, some of us aren't? Some of us are called to serve, and some of us aren't. There are all kind of gifts in this church. Some of us are called, but we do not listen to the call, or we squelch it like it says to the Thessalonians that they were doing. Some of these were squelching the Spirit. If you feel God speaking to you to lead you to teach, but you squelch that leaning because you fear that you do not have the training, well, let me promise you, you are wrong. Even if you haven't read every single page of the Bible, if you read some of it and you have given your life over to, the, to Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you have enough. And if you ever decide you're going to start teaching, you will find this out to be true, just as I have found it to be true. When you prepare a lesson for others, you learn far more about the topic than those who come to listen. Because you have to think about it. You have to listen to the words on the page. You have to ask questions of those texts. But then you have to be ready to give an answer to others. And it is through that modeling that Jesus gave as a 12-year-old child, we can still grow in our faith today. But this is only possible because the God of peace himself has sanctified you completely. It says, may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless. We do this by interacting with each other until the day that Christ Jesus returns. And why do we know this isn't fantasy? Because Jesus is faithful. He will surely do it. Join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this season. We thank you that you have given us this opportunity to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Because at Christmas time, we celebrate the most perfect gift the world has ever seen. And that is a release. That is a release from the prison of sin. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not accepted this most perfect Christmas gift, that today will be the day that you burden their heart to come forward, that they claim this gift for themselves, and that they join us as a body of believers so that we can learn from each other. Because you have sanctified us through your Spirit. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter this time of invitation, if you have made a decision in your heart and would like to make that known publicly, please come forward.
If God is calling you to join First Baptist Church and make this your home church, please come forward. Or if you need a prayer, please come forward at this time.